to season five of One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm Anna. I'm a mom, a therapist, a parent coach, and an author. And I'm a daughter and a kick-ass high school student. Each week, we'll discuss a different parenting topic. And we'll interview some amazing guest experts. Our goal is to provide an interesting informational resource for busy parents. While also offering the perspective of a teen. Stay tuned, everyone. Crushed it. Hello, welcome back to One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Dr. Tara Egan, and I'm your host today. And I have a fantastic guest expert today, and her name is Dr. Ambrose Pass-Turner. And she's a doctor of counseling psychology and the owner of APT Counseling Services, LLC, located in Columbus, Georgia. So not too far from South Carolina, where I am. She's a professor at Grand Canyon University at the College of Humanities and Social Sciences and Georgia Military College. Dr. Pass Turner is an author and has published the books Rex's Journey, Helping Children Understand and Cope with Emotions, which is going to be somewhat of our focus today. Another book called ADHD Warrior, Helping Children Conquer ADHD Unwanted Behaviors, and Childhood Sexual Abuse, Pathway to Mental Health Issues and Delinquent Behavior. She is a subject matter expert on the topics why some survivors minimize their abuse and how survivors advocates can avoid burnout. Dr. Pass Turner has worked in mental health for over 20 years, and she's an expert in working with behavioral and emotionally disturbed children, adults, families, and offenders within the criminal justice system. Dr. Pass Turner's specialty within the forensic profession are child custody evaluation and forensic assessment and evaluation. She's a member of the American Psychological Association, National Board for Certified Counselors, National Association of Forensic Counselors, and Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. So if you want to learn more about her, and I know I just gave a bunch of information about her credentials, which I really admire, you can visit her website at www.drambrosepassturner.com. And there is a hyphen between Pass and Turner. So thank you, Dr. Pass Turner, for being with us today. I'm so looking forward to our conversation about how we as parents can help children understand and cope with their emotions. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. Now, are you from Georgia originally? I am. I grew up here. I was raised here and attend elementary, junior high, high school here. Yes. Okay. Well, I love your accent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm originally from upstate New York, but I have developed some of the Southern accent I've been told over the years. And then your accent is Georgian. So that's, that's pretty cool. So as we get started today, I always like to ask guest experts, what led them or what drew them to this field in the, in the specialty areas that you have as a doctor of counseling psychology? Well, I think it all started out, you know, in early childhood. Pretty much I had the personality where I wanted to help people and do things and be involved in the community. And so when I was deciding in high school on a profession to go into, I decided to go into the counseling and mental health profession. and. The reason why I started to write books is because of what I've seen throughout my 20 years of practice, parents, I've seen their pain, their fear, and it's a way for me to give back to the community. And I know that I can't see every child, but I can provide the resources that that can provide a quality of life for everyone. That's fantastic. Well, you know, as a as a professional, as a therapist myself who works with children, who works with families, 
And, and recently, as my audience knows, I've been, you know, learning more and more about the domestic violence field and how to support families who've experienced that. I was so pleased to see this book that we're talking about today is a children's book. And, you know, of course, I read it. I'm, I'm holding a copy here in my hand. It's beautifully illustrated. And, I, you know, I toss around the idea of writing children's books, and then I just get frozen. Like, I've written books for adults. But the idea of creating something that is approachable and relevant for kids, that parents feel comfortable reading, and, of course, you have to have the, the illustrator to go with it to convey your ideas, like... Did this feel natural to you? Was it intimidating? Like, tell me a little bit about the process. Actually, the process with Rex was really smooth. But the ADHD Warrior book, which is still is still still in the process of completing the illustration, that's been a little more difficult uh, because I changed publishers during the process. Everything was with Rex just went great. That the person who illustrated, it was just like. I had I didn't have to make any corrections. He had script and he just and when he sent it to me, I was like, wow, he brought everything to life. And and tell me the name of the illustrator. You know, I can't pronounce his name. That's my <laughs> he's issue. From too. The, he's from the Philippines. Okay. I've never met him. I've okay. never spoken with him. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do my guest, my best guess here and how to pronounce it. I think his name is pronounced Agus, which is A-G-U-S, Prejago. So it's P-R-A-J-O-G-O. So I want to make sure to, you know, give credit to his work here because it's wonderful. And, you know, as a an author and a, and a woman of color, and then you have very diverse characters within the book, you know, they, we have Rex and his parents, and we have a therapist, and we have this his friend group. And to see the diversity is really important, because I know in the books on my shelf at work, there is way too few that has any characters with skin color other than white. What's important to me in all the books that I will continue to write is I believe in a multicultural characters, because I believe that it is important for all children to see themselves in the book. So although the main character is Rex, is African-American, because actually he's my dog, Rex. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, what... and so, but it's important to me for every child to be able to see themselves in my book. So, yes, so I, I'm multicultural. You can look and see, find yourself in that. <laughs> now, you know, I think about one of the main aspects of the book that I really appreciated was the character Rex, who is struggling with his emotions and feeling out of control. And he, in the book, ends up going to see a counselor, a therapist, Mr. Brown. And I'm interested, do you feel like there's hurdles to kids getting access to, to therapists? I mean, in your experience and all these years of work, I know I feel that way sometimes. I do, because, you know, some parents are are not it's a stigma related to counseling. And some families, especially African-American families, are not too open to, to counseling. It's always appeared to be a last result after the school says, you're going to have to get your child some help, you know, and then they may refer them to me. So I do think that it is because not everyone feels the same about counseling and going to see a counselor. So we have to continue to educate, you know, because I think that 
counseling is very beneficial. And I've seen positive results. I've seen from the time they walk into my office, from the time that they leave after maybe four or six months or whatever, they're different. They have developed the social skills, functioning skills to help them have a better life. I'm so glad you mentioned that frame of time, four to six months, because even though we can't put, you know, a number of days or weeks or months on therapy necessarily, I do think that there is, I don't know that I would call it a fear, but there's a belief from parents that if their child enters into therapy, that they're going to be there for years. And when colleagues reach out to me and they say, oh, you know, do you have any openings? Are you, are you taking clients right now? And I tell them, like, I'm basically always taking clients because with kids, the goal is to have them come in, you know, in families, come in, get some strategies, get some support, enhance their coping strategies, have them learn tools for emotional regulation and problem solving and communication, and then take those skills and leave the office. And maybe I see them again in six months or a year or two years. It doesn't necessarily mean that that relationship ends, but it's not typically something that goes on forever. No, it doesn't. Because once you teach them the coping skills, it's up to the family, the the caregivers to continue. And if you form a relationship with the school, you have always have the parents to share. I'm always giving out handouts or things or activities. So the parent, share this with your teacher, ask her to put the stop sign in her class. So when Johnny starts to go off track. She says, remember that stop sign? What are you supposed to do? What are your coping skills? And things like that. Because we only have them maybe on average one or twice a month. Parents have them seven days a week, what, 24 hours a day. So they have to reinforce what we teach them to help them improve. Absolutely. I think that's a huge part of the work that therapists and psychologists do with families or or with the parents of children who are struggling is teach them, how can you reinforce this? What do you say or do when your child is demonstrating one of the positive strategies that you we've taught them? Or what can you do to make sure that you're not inadvertently reinforcing, you know, misbehavior or behavior that doesn't doesn't work for your family. And that can be such a powerful tool. And there's times depending on the age of the child and their language skills, you know, where that work that I do with the parent to help them reinforce the skills is as important or more important as the direct work I do with the kids in the sessions. That's right, because children do not get better without parents' involvement. They have to be involved. So parents are thinking you can just bring them the counseling, which do happen sometimes when parents don't get involved. And they continue to have the issues that they might um, have in school, you know, because parents are not enforcing. You need to parent. Yeah, it's a team, team approach. Now, do you have a lot of connection with the schools? Yes, I receive a lot of referrals from the school system here in uh, Muskogee County. I'll also see children outside of counties, other counties. Muskogee County, yes, and I have good relationships with pediatricians in town, so I do. Yeah, I love that team approach when we have, if there's medical factors or medicine that needs to be incorporated, obviously the parents, the schools, so the child really feels surrounded by support and they know like, we're all working together to help you here. You can't walk out of the office and just be like, back to your 
you know, back to your previous behavior that was causing you so much stress and the stress from people around you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Now, one of the things we were just starting to talk about is just the idea of stigma behind counseling. As parents, if we would like our kids to be open-minded to the idea of going to a therapist or a counselor or a psychologist, what do you think parents can do to encourage that? Just can, to let them know that, because most time they're going to experience fear. Maybe they've heard negative things about it, but just let them know that counseling can be a good thing. It's to help you improve. If there's problems or things you want to talk about that you feel like you can't talk to me, then you can talk to that counselor about it. It can be private, you know, unless, you know, certain things, certain things, certain times when we have to break confidentiality. But just I think just important to let them know that it's it's to help you. It's nothing bad about counseling. You know, I have some people just want to come and just want to talk. What do you want to work on any coping skills? Nope, because I'm not going to change. I just want to talk to you. I just need to vent. Okay, but, you know, and, and things like that, because. I, what I've realized in working with children, you see, children just want us to listen to them. So I may have a kid that came to me because they were having all of, you know, some issues or things like that. But when I, that child is in front of me and I'm giving you my undivided attention, you are the most important person in my life right now. They love it, you know? And I think that's, they want to be heard, you know, and they want you to listen to them and they want you to understand, you know, their little world, what they're going through and what they're feeling. And sometimes that's all it takes. So in that case, maybe parents were not listening or paying enough attention to our children because we're always busy. There's always other things to do. Well, you're right. I mean, when we're in there with the child, that is our job. That's our only job is just to be attending to that child or that family. And I tell parents who say, well, my child is acting out because they want attention. I say, well, what a positive way to get attention is to go and talk to a therapist who you know is going to be, you know, a positive influence, is going to be nurturing, has the skill to, you know, help them come up with new strategies. This is a fantastic way for your child to get attention. And it's something that a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times can be, you know, maintained throughout their their life. If they go to college and there's, you know, counseling resources on campus or there's the school counselor that they feel like, oh, I, you know, I need some some supporter or, you know, some to focus in on a concern I have. Like it's it's a sustainable form of attention for the most part, even if it's not done, you know, in a private practice office or something like that. And sometimes parents don't didn't necessarily think of it that way. They thought of it as they want attention and this is providing them more attention for their naughty behavior. And sometimes what we see children fighting from parents for parents' attention sometimes, you know, that could be a sign of emotional distress in children. So instead of, you know, saying they just want attention all the time, how about talking to that child if I know what's going on? Because usually that's one of the signs that we see in children who are having emotional distress about something. And so then they want to cling on, you know, to that parent. And so instead of pushing them away, let's try to explore what's going on. Take a moment to say, is everything okay? Is there something you want to talk to me about? 
Well, that act of connecting with them, uh-huh. because if kids are struggling with behavioral issues, sometimes they've experienced a lot of, of, of rejection or uh-huh. scolding. Maybe they're experiencing shame. And, you know, as, as therapists, you know, we work to have the kids feel connected and not like we're mad at them or they're in trouble. Oh, yes. Sometimes kids get a little nervous of like, oh, if you find out I did this, you know, I broke this rule, are you going to be, are you going to be mad or is it going to be another person who I'm in trouble with? And so mm-hmm. part of our job is, you know, developing that rapport and connection with kids so that they understand we're, we're a resource. How do you think that parents who either participate in counseling services themselves or have in the past and talk about it in a positive way. Like how significant is that, do you think, in supporting kids? I think that plays a very significant role because those are the parents who don't have a problem with bringing their children to counsel because they know how effective it is. Yeah, I agree. And I think it can be really confusing for kids if they have one parent who's very supportive of it and another parent who's dismissive or negative about it. That's where I see the most conflict in kids is the families I work with, so many of them have gone through separation and divorce. And maybe one of the parents has initiated getting their child mental health support. And if the other parent isn't on board, kids can say, I I, I can't, I don't want to do this. My dad thinks this means I'm there's some, he says there's nothing wrong with me. That's a very common phrase is my mom says, or my dad says there's nothing wrong with me. And so I don't have to come here. And so, or parents will call me and say, well, how do we present this to, you know, my daughter so that she doesn't think we think something's wrong with her? Well, I think when you, someone is going through a divorce, I I think it's, it's, it should always be recommended because you want the, the children to feel safe and secure because the system that they have become familiar with is no longer in place. So it can be used. There's nothing wrong with you, but it's just to check on you to make sure that you understand what's happening with the family structure right now. Mm -hmm. Recently, the last, I don't know, few months, I had a couple teenage girls when they came in and they, we were talking about parents' divorce and parents, you know, hey, we just want you to have a support system, someone to talk to. This is kind of a stressful time in our family. There's things that have been disrupted in your life due to divorce. And she, you know, this particular teen I was, I'm thinking of, and she was kind of like, I don't need this. Like the divorce is my parents' problem, not mine. I'm independent. And, and I, you're not going to make me talk about what's going on with my parents. And you know, she, she got it in her head that it was going to be, you know, something she was going to be weak or diminished if she acknowledged that there could be stress points that came from her parents' divorce. And, you know, I, I have adults who, I mean, adults in their thirties and 40 years old have not dealt with the, the fact that their parent divorced when they were children. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still affecting them today. Yeah. And kids are pretty short-sighted about that. I think they think when childhood is over, they're going to like magically have a well-adjusted adult brain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard for them to see the future to be like, oh, if I don't manage this now, it could be something that impacts me later. Like, I think that's tough, like an abstract idea for for them to grasp sometimes. Yeah. Because when we're talking about divorce, you know, sometimes children, they have safety issues because that security 
is not always there. Things have a tendency to change once divorce, you know, family, friends, you know, parents, friends and things like that. Finances, housing. uh Uh-huh. And so what I found after divorce, what I usually would tell parents, what you want to make your child feel safe and secure. But some of the biggest mistakes that parents make during a divorce is that they try to overcompensate because they feel guilty. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes they can uh, overcompensate because they're feeling guilty because they divorced, they had the divorce. And so that means that you give in to the child, you know, you spoil them more. You know, and that's your guilt, you know, and then we know that 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 can lead to a lot of other issues because we know that the outside world, they don't care anything about your divorce. So when your child go and act out or say certain things, their approach to the situation is going to be different. So I think we have to train them and teach them at home. So that they will be prepared for what is about to occur once they enter the real world. Well, I definitely relate to what you're saying about the overcompensating and that it can be really hard for them to uphold expectations. You know, gosh, they're going through such a hard time. I hate for them to, you know, have to stop snuggling with me on the couch at bedtime because that's when they feel really sad that they're missing the other parent. And so I let them stay up later. Now they're in the bed with me and they're watching my grown-up TV and it's now 1030 and I just don't have the heart to say, you know, no to that. And you can assert that same idea into multiple, you know, I hate to make them do chores. I mean, they've just got so much on their mind and they've had such a long day at school and, you know, just to come home and have to do all these things on top of school just feels like too much right now. So now we have kids who don't have the stamina for chores or don't feel a sense of, I don't know, investment in the family and caring for the family home and the responsibilities, you know, that that entails. So I I see that a lot. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. I see it a lot too, you know, and and then when they, you know, when they're out of control, they can't take it anymore, especially, you know, if they're adolescents, (laughs) you know, that's the most difficult stage at all. Yeah. Yeah. They they get a little foreign. That's for sure. One of the things we t- that was talked about in the book that it was the idea that Rex, the character of the little boy, didn't feel in control of his emotions. And so I think of how kids express that to us as adults, you know, that they're feeling out of control or things feel unpredictable. I see that when kids are having a hard time controlling their body movements, like they have more hyperactivity. They, it seems like they're more impulsive. Maybe they're quicker to cry or quicker to yell. Do you see anything different than what I'm describing? Maybe that I didn't think to include? No, maybe some anxiousness and they're easier to get angry. Like a shorter fuse. Mm-hmm. Because of the lack of self-control. And the purpose of all the books that that I write is I try to teach kids self-regulation skills and executive functions, executive function skills, because what we want to focus on is their working memory, which what we see with ADHD children. We want them to have some mental flexibility and also self-control. And that's what Rex's journey tries to teach them, address those skills. Yes, I can I can see that in the book and it's such kid-friendly language. And I think it if you're a parent reading this book with your child, it also allows them to kind of open up the conversation 
in other areas too. If on each page there is like a question that's being asked of the child or something to consider. And in the examples in the book, you talk about when he was sad and angry, he didn't want to play with his sister or follow the rules, like putting the toys back in the toy box. At school, he didn't listen to the teacher. He fought with others, ignored his classwork. Grades began to fall. Having social connections that were more problematic, you know, where there was maybe uh, aggression or his friends felt that he wasn't, you know, playing kindly or fairly. So I love that there's some some specific examples that a parent can can use to discuss with their child and and have it feel relatable. You know, like I'm noticing that when I say good morning to you, you're answering me with a really angry tone. And I'm noticing that when you go out to play with the kids in the neighborhood, you're coming back into the house and you're saying, you know, I hate him and he's the worst friend ever. And I not, I never want to play with him and like using some extreme language. And, you know, I think that kids really benefit when they can see specific examples of, of what we're noticing is concerning behavior. Mm-hmm. And one thing in the book, I don't know if you noticed that, is when the counselor asked Rex, why was he so upset, angry? And he says, because the children, they were bullying him. He started everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't they, recognize that his behavior. Yes, it was your behavior. That you, their behavior came after them, you know. So I like to ask kids, kids that because I, I send that book home to a lot. Like if I get referrals and, and I do intake and the kids probably have some behavior issues, I'm going to send you my book. You know, I want you to read that book, mom. I want you to read it with him if they're not old enough to read it, you know, and we'll talk about it on our next session. And so those are questions and things that I ask him, you know, yeah, he was the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and how they're, how they're defining conflict and bullying, you know, and sometimes it's like, you know, really is a hugely upsetting behavior. And sometimes it's like a teeny tiny behavior, but because they're Mm -hmm. having a hard time regulating, it feels so big and they can't put it in perspective and it's causing so much distress. And there's just a lot of places that you could introduce some conversation about that. And and that favorite thing, and, and one of the favorite thing I always ask, you know, um, for parents, how can you reinforce this? You can always go back and read this book, or you can always say, "What would Rex do if he was in this situation?" Mm, what would oh, Rex he would do? count to ten. You know, how do you think Rex would handle this? I love it. You know, so we just, I just create all different types of activities with Rex for parents to use at home. You know. I think that's that's fantastic. Do you see a relationship between kids who have a hard time emotionally regulating and their parents having a hard time with that? Yes, because behavior is learned. And so, you know, we learn so much from what goes on within the family system. That's where we learn everything. We pick up on everything, you know. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I agree with you. I think there's times that I... I do have to give parents some strategies of that they can use when their kid is doing something that's frustrating or when they've had, you know, a really tough day at work or something and they have to come home and do the whole routine, you know, the dinner and the bath and the homework and all of that and their their fuse is short. And so what can you guys like all together as a family do to avoid moments where it just gets escalated and explosive and in your child is seeing Mm-hmm. An adult struggle with those same skills. 
Mm-hmm. It's just like, you you know, I'm sure you have kids with anxiety and then you may have a parent that says, says to you that I have anxiety. I've had anxiety all my life. So that child have watched mom go through episodes of anxiety. And so now that child is displaying that type of behavior. And my uh, suggestion to mom, you know, sometimes when you feel, you know, you're going to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack, go to the next room. Don't do it in front of her. Yeah. And the language that's used, you know, if you speak about even mainstream activities or routine activities as part of your day and you're using vocabulary that either provokes anxiety within the child or sends a message to the child of like, this is really worrisome. You know, I've had parents say, well, you know, if you don't get your homework done tonight, you might not be able to go to college and you're never going to be able to support your family. Well, you know what? The homework from tonight is not going to be the thing that determines whether or not they can support their family. You saying, hey, I want you to feel good about the schoolwork you do. I want to make sure that you know that this is an important part of schoolwork is practicing at night. Some of the skills you worked on during the day and let me help you is different than like, you don't do your homework tonight. You're that's it. Like you're, you're never going to amount to anything like that is a lot of pressure. And that is very fearful language and, and fearful thoughts that the parent is having too. I mean, that's a hard thing. I have parents say their kid was naughty at school. So does this mean they're going to grow up and go to jail? Or does this mean they're going to grow up and be a, a psychopath? And it's like, your kid dumped some food from the cafeteria table onto the floor. Like, we're not talking about, you know, jail time when they're seven. But they go to this, you know, really extreme thinking and worried thoughts about their child's well-being. And so what I think that what parents have to remember, that perfection from our children is an, is an unrealistic expectation. And I think that's what parents have to remember. And we have to allow children to be children. That idea of making mistakes can be really hard to accept and to take, you know, it's like there so, can be so much fear of making mistakes in kids that they also have a hard time taking accountability because that would be admitting that something's terrible about them. So then parents are frustrated, like, well, he didn't just, you know, let me know that he t- took the last of the orange juice and didn't put it on the list. Or he didn't let me know that he accidentally, you know, broke the remote control. He never takes accountability. And I'm like, but when he does, you're talking about him as though he's a psychopath. <laughs> like what, why would he admit to fault? No one wants to go there. And so what you're seeing in those children is you're going to see a high level of stress, worry, and anxiety as they continue to go through the stages of development. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think we have to be careful, you know, with how the things that we say to children and, and, and how we approach the children. All right. So we talked about your book, which the one we're focused on today is Rex's Journey, Helping Children Understand and Cope with Emotions. It's a really great tool for parents to use, read with their child, to their child. It's I, I think as a therapist, it could be a great place to start, especially as you're developing rapport with kids and having them just get a little bit more relaxed in your office. I mean, reading books is something kids are typically very familiar with. It feels good to them. It reminds them of, you know, something really familiar with their parent or with the teacher at school. We talked about there could be stigma with therapy and how we can support kids and having a good, like, mindset about it, but also encouraging their parents to be supportive of it and recognize if there's places that the parent is role modeling like whether it's their own bias against counseling or they, 
you know, have had either a positive or negative experience themselves and how they convey that can really influence kids. Now, is there anything else that you want to make sure our audience knows about you, knows about this book or any of your other resources that you have available? Well, the book can be, it's available on my website, but also it's at the major change also chains, Amazon, Mascot Books, Barnes and Nobles, Books and Millions, Walmart, just put it in. It comes up everywhere. Places I didn't even know they had it. Yeah. One time I found a book of mine on Target and I was like, I, I know my book was like, sold what? at Target. <laughs> so I you know, but yes, but it's, it is available on the website also. I think that it's very educational book. And I think that it's very helpful for children. I think they will benefit from it significantly. You know, I think it can be a great counseling tool for children. Also on my website, I have a resource link that have different types of behavior issues and things that children might be experiencing. And um, you can look at the resources and, you know, find some strategies and uh, coping skills there too. Okay. Well, it sounds like your website is a great place for people to access. And I'm going to remind our listeners of the website. It's www.drambrosepassturner.com with a hyphen between pass and turner. And then are you on social media at all? Yes. I have a Facebook page, which is APT Counseling Services. Okay, perfect. Well, I love to connect with our guest experts on social media if they have it, because it's a great way for us to keep in touch. And then as this episode comes out, we can share it and make sure that people have access to it. I do want to thank our listeners for being with us today. We have new episodes every Wednesday. We are in season five. I was just talking to Anna, who is typically my co-host. She's my teenage daughter, but she is at school taking in a final exam today. But we were talking about how we have just reached the two-year mark of this podcast. Congratulations. Well, thank you. So One Day You'll Thank Me has been around for two years. We're in season five. We do a between 20 and 25 episodes each season. So working with guest experts like you, who has so much expertise, has resources out there for our listeners. I love it. I, I love it so much because there's just been a lot of our listeners have said something that was said on the podcast you know, let me to get more support or let me know there was a resource out there or let me know to even talk about it, this topic with my kid that I didn't even mm-hmm. like have on my radar. So our conversation today about emotional regulation and coping skills is, is just another one that parents can be thinking about and introducing to their, their kids and families. Yes, because if we teach children how to develop um, self-regulation skills and coping skills, they'll have less anxiety when they grow up. Absolutely. You teach it now in early childhood, you know, so when they start to get into um, adolescent and early adulthood, they'll be able to manage the stressors that will come up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Dr. Pass Turner, for being with us today. Is there any final thoughts you want to make sure our audience gets to hear? I would say just parents, just make sure you listen to your children. And when you see things that are different from the way it has always been, I think that's your cue to engage with your child to try to find out what's going on. That's great advice. So talk and listen. 
Well, thank you so much. That is wonderful advice. Listeners, if you have any follow-up questions, you're welcome to visit Dr. Pass Turner on social media, visit her website, shoot us an email over at Egan Counseling and Consulting, which our website, as you know, is www.egancounselingandconsulting.com. And make sure to share the episode if it feels like it's something that would be relevant to a friend or family member. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.